The main podcast is a free media source with the mission to provide better transparency in the market to connoisseurs, medical patients, recreational users, store owners, growers, extractors, and everyone in between. This is made possible through generous support from sponsors who cover all corners of the great state of Maine. A special thanks to The Heady Yeti, Rugged Roots, Tastefully Baked, Cure Cannabis Co., The Shack 420, Humble Family Farms, Cannamelts, Salty Cultivation, The North Fire, Highbrow, Team Green, Seaworks and Company, Fade Space, Zero Gravity Extracts, Wisely Cannabis, and Stoner and Co. For more information on how you can support those who support us, please visit our website, www.mainpodcast.com. That's mainpodcast.com. And click the sponsors tab. Okay. Welcome to a special series of the main podcast. We've uh, decided that we'd like to cover, in light of uh, certain topics and situations, what is occurring in the 2021 calendar year on the main medical cannabis program. We're going to be speaking with caregivers, activists, city and state leaders for their insights into policies that threaten or perhaps will alter the medical program, a highly successful medical program by young um, from, from continuing for years to come. Tonight, I'm joined by a caregiver and activist, Derek Short. Derek, welcome to the program. Hi, thank you. Thanks. Thanks for joining us. And we're also joined by a House of Representatives for the state of Maine, Chad Athens. How are you doing tonight, Chad? Good, good. Glad to be here. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. It was a couple of days ago, I want to say it was on Monday, when... um, Derek had reached out to the main podcast via the website and wanted to make sure that uh, we were getting a message out through the community. And little did I know that Derek has been extensively getting the word out continually for how long, Derek, would you say now? Since the policy Uh, came out? Since the rules dropped, yeah, we started, uh, you know, I started getting information together and started reaching out to different, uh, people in the legislature and uh, some members of the main cannabis coalition. And you ended up connecting with uh, Chad. Uh, How'd that happen, if you don't mind my asking? Uh, uh, He was uh, a name that was thrown out by uh, another caregiver as a person of interest that I should definitely uh, get a hold of. Uh, They didn't elaborate uh, as to why. Sure. And I should reach out to him. Chad, um, the state, uh, is your viewpoint, is your support or your willingness to hear out um, what's going on in the main medical industry, is is that a popular choice or is it something, uh, so, why get involved? Uh, the reason I'm involved because, you know, in my own family, I've been, you know, it, it's personally affected me in a positive way. Um, my nephew is, uh, stricken with autism and, um, severe autism, uh, unable to speak, um, and communicate, you know, well. So this was back in the beginning of the medical program. My sister, who my sister and I are like the least people you would ever think would have anything to do with any marijuana policy or purchasing or using or any of that. But, um, she 
did start doing some research and found out there's some benefits to helping my nephew. And uh, it really did. And uh, this is back before I got into the legislature. Mm-hmm. And then I, myself, I've gone through, uh, oh, I'm close to 30-plus rounds of chemo with uh, colon cancer. And um, I was trying to work every day and uh, stay, you know, stay functional. And, uh, you know, they give you drugs for, you know, to offset the chemo effects, offset that, this, that. I mean, I had, uh, you know, just a big bunch of pills. I've never taken pills in my life. I was looking for another route, and, um, uh, you know, a doctor, you know, they're not allowed to prescribe, but they, they, they said, you know, we've had some pretty good results with uh, with cannabis. So I, I used some during my treatment, and it helped me immensely. So I, you know, I'm a test subject, so my, my, I kind of view things through, um, you know, from my own experience and looking at things more practical. And to me, I don't think that, the state should have the heavy foot on this program. Um, I think it's doing just fine without them uh, adding all these unnecessary draconian rules that are just going to hurt all these small little businesses. That I think is amazing to see so many people brought up in their life um, to a better economic situation. They can work at home. Um, they like, you know, working with plants, with people, with cancer patients, with people who have other um, illnesses. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I just want to defend it uh, any way I can to protect it. Well, thank you. Thank you for that. Uh, in being in a, in a position now where you can have uh, lend a little bit of voice and support as well, we, re- we greatly appreciate it. Can I ask you, were you using uh, tinctures or edibles or what, how were you treating yourself for, for pain relief or, or, yep, or medical? I, sure. Um, so, course i didn't know much about it i was very naive and didn't understand it so um who'd you go to for information um i i was sitting next to a a guy who i've known for a long time he was a doctor he was in treatment at the same time as me and i said i said to him i go i go you know his name was uh, i won't say his name but sure he 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 said i said what do you what is your honest opinion about uh, you know, using cannabis products while you're, you know, while we're going through this. He looked right at me and says, I'm using it right now. I can tell you it's night and day. So I just went, you know, I took his advice and I found somebody who was a grower at the time was making some tinctures and I just started with uh, just using some tinctures and taking a couple drops um, just to offset the uh, you know, the chemo um, effects, which are miserable. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it really made my, it just made it so I could function and work because I, I work physically um, in our family business and uh, I was able to perform my duties and be, and uh, you know, all that, um, you know, you, you think of, you know, if you use a cannabis product, somebody who's never used it, you're like, oh my gosh, I'm going to get high. I'm going to grow my hair. Mm-hmm. Look like this hippie guy, you know, and just lay back and just let life go. It's just the most further from the truth that uh, that could ever be. It um, can be an everyday user in the sense where it doesn't sit. Uh, it doesn't fit that typical uh, stereotype or or, or, or the perceived uh, user. That's what we've noticed yeah. through time. Um, 
Well, the co-host, Evan, by the way, might be joining us as well. So if you hear a voice pop in, it's Evan. Wow, way to discredit me. There we go. (laughs) Uh, We used to work a storefront. And in the early years of uh, the storefront opening up, that was 2017 into 18. uh, There was a great deal of patients who were coming in who wanted to talk about treatments for ailments. And that was the predominant patient coming in the door at the time. Uh, and, and there was a bit of skepticism, a bit of stigma, uh, a, a little bit of hush-hush, but a great deal of curiosity. And that's what we've noticed. Uh, maybe not now as uh, medical stores have gone into a, a sort of a, a, a full uh, load of offerings, whether it's edibles uh, and flour or tinctures and salves, there's so much more dynamics to a, what a store can offer now that, of course, there's there's going to be your casual user, even in the medical program. But most of them speak for, for the positives of it. You know, it's not just an indulgence. Well, it's not just that, but, you know, that let people who are, you know, there's people with, uh, you know, they're at the end of their life with terminal um, disease and such. And, um Sometimes it's nice that they can have the choice to go to some local person that they trust and feel comfortable with and have heard results of their product. Um, and they can make that decision for their, for themselves, how they want to, how they want to treat themselves. Mm-hmm. I can use an example that there was a wonderful lady that was going through treatment at the same time as me and uh, another business owner a person that was the last person to ever want to do any kind of recreational drugs or anything like that. But she was looking for relief. She was looking for um, something so she could be more with it while she was at the end of her life. And she started using um, some different products, like some, some creams and uh, the drops. And she even vaped a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, and I, and I talked to her a little bit about it because she could make her feel comfortable. I said, listen, I, don't be embarrassed. I mean, this, this is way better than taking all those drugs that they give you. you. You can't even read half of the prescriptions and there's tons of side effects of those. So, um, you know, I, I tried to make her feel comfortable because I knew I, how I felt when I first started, uh, you know, into it. And um, it, it made all the difference in her life. Everybody I've known that's had treatment and stuff, they, they've had nothing but positive effects. And I just don't want to see that be crushed. Mm, mm. Well, yeah, that's true. That is true. A lot of people have been finding the benefits to it. And Derek, you've been well on that, uh, in that direction. You told me a story uh, about um, treatments and how you're using it as a caregiver. Can you explain why you became a caregiver? Uh, the story behind that? Uh, oh, yeah, sure. Uh, my son uh, was diagnosed with uh, severe autism. And, uh, you know, when he was around 18 months, he was pretty advanced. He had a bunch of words, 15 or so words. He said all the time, he started to potty train. And, uh, one day he just, uh, he just wasn't the same. It seemed like we couldn't get to him. He was kind of lost or in a fog. And, uh, it took about six months of, uh, you know, trying to figure out, where we were going to go and how, how we we're going to figure out what was going on. And he got diagnosed uh, at Edmund Irving as having uh, severe autism. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
I had been in contact with Dawson, uh, Julia, and he uh, he told me that you know he's had some patients that had some really good results with THC, um, and I you know I was kind of I didn't know if I wanted to do that with my you know two year old mm-hmm. sure. Uh, he recommended going to see Dr. Sulak, and the uh, best thing I've ever done for my child is to go see him. Uh, how m- how long ago was this? How many years years ago? Uh, he, was, uh, he was two and a half when we went for the visit, and he's now four, uh, going to be five in March, so it's been a couple years. Mm-hmm. What we have you... Down and, yeah, go right ahead, I'm sorry. So, uh, we went down and... Uh, Dr. Sulak mentioned that, you know, THC maybe did two-thirds of the work for autistic kids because they have pain that they don't really show. Uh, it might not react to it. They get this uh, pins and needles feeling all over their body. So that's why sometimes you can see them flapping their hands. Or uh, My son happens to have uh, some inflammation in his spinal column and in his brain. So... Uh, does this help at all with any of uh, that type of uh, swelling or inflammation? What can oh, yeah. cannabis I mean, help in that he, way? He, he talked to us. Uh, he talked to me and and, and uh, you know and recommended the THC. So we get home. They had already sent the card to us. It was supposed to take ten days. We got the card before we got home, and I gave him his first dose. And five hours after his first dose, he walked up to me and put both hands on my cheeks and put his forehead on mine and looked me in the eyes and smiled. <laughs> that's that's yeah. one of the best things I've ever had. That's remarkable. Uh, you took me back a little bit on that story. That's that's remarkable. Um, so yeah, you have a reason to... Mm, so you started to uh, grow for yourself, to cultivate for yourself so you could supply this medicine, so you could have immediate immediacy to this medicine? Right. Yeah, and, uh, and uh, you know, I started making medicine for him, and uh, I got my caregiver, started making it for some other people, and uh, a couple of storefronts that I wholesale to. Because mm-hmm. uh, I feel like, uh, not to cut now. in, but I feel like a lot of the, when I, I worked, uh, I did a couple summers, of, or a summer volunteering up at a Pine Tree Camp in Rome, Maine. And it, it kind of focuses on a lot of, uh, you know, kids, kids, adults, it, all age groups with uh, disabilities and stuff like that. And it seems like the catch 22 was that like a lot of these places receive federal funding and really rely like not even just the camp, but like a lot of organizations that do benefit these members of the community rely on federal funding. But and then, you know, federal guidelines really are super strict about, you know, medical cannabis in, in certain instances. So I feel like it's hard for you know, a lot of parents trying to navigate this water. Yeah. Uh, as long as they have their car, you have to go about it correctly. You got to make sure you go see Dr. Sulak. There's not a lot of doctors that'll get the card for a child. But as long as you have that, uh, I had him in the hospital back in October, and I was able to give him cannabis in the hospital. They, they couldn't do it, but they allowed me to do it. Okay, so that that's that's normally how it works. That's like the loophole around it is they can't administer it, but you're still allowed to administer it. That's how it works for us, and uh, a lot of the schools are that way now. Even private schools. Uh, are these are new allowed. changes? Are these uh, fairly new changes here in the state? 
So these allowances or permissions? Um, I think people have fought for that right. Um, and I don't know enough about it to speak on it. Okay. Uh, sure. Uh, yeah, I think, I think it's, I think it's in there and I think it's, uh, something to protect the people and discrimination, I think. With, um, Chad, have you, uh, recommended cannabis, uh, uh, this will be the last uh, line I, I think I want to go, but uh, I just want to hear, have, have you recommended uh, cannabis products to people who who yeah. you think would benefit from it that uh, yeah. might be hesitant? Yes, I have uh, numerous, numerous times. Um, you know, people have felt the same way about it as I did. And, you know, when you get people that come up to you and they say, oh, if you just take this, it cures cancer. I mean, I'm very cautious about when I hear things like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, you know, there's got to be a scientific basis and everything for everything. But from what I've dealt with, from my point of view, um, when you are taking, you know, chemo is, the diff- there's tons of different kinds of chemo depending on what specific cancer you have. So it affects everybody differently. Because I've had colon cancer, now I have lymphoma, so I've had treatments for both, and they both affected me differently. But, however... The cannabis that I use relieved the symptoms of both kinds of chemo. So um, I've actually had nurses call me and ask me to talk to patients that were really upset about their, their diagnosis and um, just kind of coach them a little bit on what I did to relieve my symptoms, especially younger people that are uh, working every day. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of us that like to work, we don't want to sit around. We want to get going and be functional. You know, we don't want to be sick all morning and, then by noon you might feel a little bit better and then you're just on your knees again. And with the cannabis, especially like the uh, tincture and some of the rubs and stuff, I found that uh, you almost are like 100% normal, as crazy as that sounds, mm. from those treatments. Do you know the milligram dosage that you were given, Chad, or, or anything uh, like that? I had to guess. I would say, you know, on the eyedropper, I mean, I don't know the, the content of the amount of THC. Sure. The time people that were making it for the CBD, um, I don't think they had the science down on it, but they kind of said, well, try this a little bit and then add a little bit. Stuff. Um, so I think, I believe it was like three drops I was taking at the time, and that kind of did the trick for me. Um, with And sometimes I'd take a little bit more in the evening just because, um, you know, you'd get these like kind of spasm feelings, and uh, that would just smooth everything off and you could eat and um not not you because know, i because the uh, kind of chemo i had it, it goes after everything you know in your gi tract mm-hmm. so i it really benefited me with taking the drops um it, it, it just took away the heartburn and all the um, side effects that comes with chemo it, it, it's um it's life-changing it really is and even with what i saw with my own nephew and what Derek was saying about his son I was just amazed by the benefits of it. It's incredible. And that's, that's one of the reasons why I'm, I'm looking to get whoever and anybody down in Augusta to just stop this and protect the small, the growers, protect the small uh, interests um, in, in the medical community, especially um, in the state of Maine. Do you feel as though it might be a lack of recognizing its value or is it something greater or different than that? Do you feel like the word is out there enough, the information, the education? Do you think that's lacking? No, it is. 
Yeah, mm. it, it is, Bill. Um, I, I see the, you know, the, I use the word ignorance to it, you know, on a weekly basis. Mm-hmm. If it's not in Augusta. It's just out, out in the public. Um, there's still that stigma that people have with it. And um, some people think it's just being used as an excuse so people can just have a another vice that they can use. And they don't look at it as, uh, as, as the medical benefits that you can get from it. So I always try to, I, I, they, they, they're just like shocked when I tell them, like, hey, I'll tell you right now, I've used it. And, you know, they look at me and they're like, really, you? I'm like, yeah, me. I, you know, anything I could do that was going to limit um, all these drugs that, and, and all these side effects, and I could just use one product and I have no side effects, my gosh, who, who's going to argue with that? No, yeah, really, who would argue with that? The drug companies. Yes. Do you think there's <laughs> that strong influence from drug co- drug companies and pharmaceuticals here in Maine? Yes, do you, I do. Yeah. Do you think that there? <clears throat> go ahead. My direct feeling uh, there is um, when it doesn't make sense, follow the money. Okay. Mm-hmm. So to me, I'm I'm thinking, why is there a problem with the way the medical is being done in the state of Maine? Is it perfect? No, but. You know, it's like it's like in my industry or or the lobster industry. We kind of make our rules and then we present them to the to the you know to the government so they can help us make our industry better. Well, you have people that are making these rules that have no clue at what you have to go through to have a small operation and a small family business or or some partners. I mean, you're not talking most of these businesses in the state of Maine that are growers and medical providers are multi-million dollar people. This is just small little family ran businesses. And to me, this is like, um, this is America. This, this is what America is given opportunities. There was an opportunity, a bunch of people jumped on it and they're doing really well with it. Mm-hmm. And I encourage it. I it, encourage it a hundred percent. It's made, uh, it, it's made with the volume of people who are involved. It's made the access to the medicine, uh, or, or the information that can go along with that. Um, much more readily accessible and understandable because I know I've talked to, um, we call them bud tenders in stores. They still get those people who'd like to spend 20 minutes, half an hour asking questions, getting information, learning about what they're, what they're into. It's not as common as say your everyday shopper, but, but you wouldn't want them to be as common either. I think if, if you're treating people, it's it's uh, once a week, it's maybe once every couple of weeks or once a month, you know, or, you know, I mean, topicals and so, was, yeah, granted, that's an everyday kind of use too. Tinctures can be as well. Um, mm. uh, Derek, when when you end up needing to uh, to dose your son, well, what is milligram dosage or, or do you have an idea of what strength is necessary or needed? And I bring this up because if we lose medical, don't we lose the higher doses that are allowable in medical? Yeah, well, the first problem with losing medical is that your child is not going to have a medical prescription to take that medicine. Makes you a violator or, or doing something you'll, illegal you'll be- at that point. Well, yeah, and, and if you have somebody call DHS on you and say, hey, that guy's giving his kid marijuana, that kid is now going to be taken from you. So mm. that's the importance of having this medical program is because they have a card. They have a prescription. Um, and I've had one of his providers from, from uh, CDS found out that I was given a medical marijuana. They called DHS. DHS was here within three hours 
<clears throat> I showed them the card. They didn't thank you very much and left. So um, it was as simple as that. But if you don't have that medical program, that's going to be lost. Um, but as, as far as the dosing goes, it depends. Uh, I I actually it's flexible to how his day is going. Mm-hmm. Uh, if he's got a lot of inflammation and he's got a lot of uh, showing symptoms, you know, I can give him uh, 20 milligrams. Mm-hmm. In, uh, in a tincture, but uh, in the morning I usually mix it with CBD, helps them with focus and OCD behavior. Getting a nice balance uh, that way. Right, from, it takes yep. a little bit psychoactive away from it. But the cool thing about cannabis is that the more you need the medicine, the less, the more you can take without having that high feeling. Somebody that's really sick can take a lot more THC than somebody that has no issues at all without feeling any effect because that medicine's going to work. Mm. So very rarely uh, do you see him showing any signs of, of anything other than just feeling good. And it's created such a difference in that you can you are able to recognize when those uh, patterns, when those... Uh when those clues as to he might be feeling a certain way or, or, or yeah. reacting a certain way show up. Yep. Yeah. And I add, I add specific terpenes. I add isolated terpenes to his, his tincture and anybody else's that I'm making medicine for, even if I'm making RSO syringes for somebody, mm-hmm. I'll add, I'll add terapheline and, uh, humulene and myrcene, uh, and linalool. Linalool is good for, uh, convulsions or seizures or, or uh, anything like that. So I make sure I add those. So he's, he's getting his extra dose of terpenes plus whatever the original terps are from the, from the plant itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, Derek, how many, how many uh, flowering lights do you have? If you don't mind my asking. 17. 17. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So uh, potentially the only other thing you could do is possibly cut down to a point where will they still allow the program to exist where people can grow three plants, uh, flower three plants for themselves? Do you know? An adult use? Uh, no, no. If, uh, like, so the abolition, the, well, the overregulation of uh, what we're being threatened with on the medical program is what is really what it is. I think people are not against, people in the industry aren't against the idea of regulation being introduced. I think they feel like it's overregulation that's being introduced. You want to speak on a couple of those issues? Yeah, I've talked to... Uh, and do you agree uh, with that? I'm sorry, with that logic or that idea? We're, we're fine with regulation. We're, we're not looking to be overregulated. That's exactly right. Right. The, the regulations they have right now are pretty close to where they need to be as, as far as I'm concerned. Um, but uh, these people are already working real hard and uh, adding more regulation is just going to be adding more, more work to these people that are already doing enough. Mm. Um, Chad, did you realize that there was, uh, what first caught your eye about the industry itself? Like, uh, it may be needing a voice. Was it, was it the numbers of, uh, caregivers who are involved? Was it, uh, what well, did, did monetary, uh, does monetary funding or does that play a part in it? You think? Uh, 
for this next direction they'd like to go? Well, my, I, I put my, you know, probably two, three years ago when I, um, this is my third uh, run in the uh, state house. Okay. Um, Which district? I'm sorry. It's districts. Yes. uh, District 118. It basically serves uh, Cornville, Athens, Harmony. Okay. Skips up over Seoul and Bingham up north to the Canadian border, Jackman. Okay. It's a big area, small amount of population. Mm-hmm. So um, we got we got you know, and we also you know, as you know, Maine has a lot of elderly in the state, um, and I believe there's a lot of elderly people that are using the product. Um, but going back to your question about monetary funds, in meaning, in meaning, in what's your meaning on taxation? That? Uh, taxation. Do you think it's the taxation um, or? Um, levels like um would um with the medical program uh raising it up to a 10 percent would that uh would that change anything i'm i'm just throwing something out there i, I, I haven't I, talked to anybody I, but i would say my personal opinion no i would say this to me it's a direct attack on the end on the program it is because to me it's always been about they want the big it's easier for the state to control a few large entities and a bunch of these small little ones that it costs them revenue and stuff to go monitor all them. Mm-hmm. So thinking like the government thinks, I'm thinking they they would love to see it like a lot of these states like Colorado, um, you know, uh, Nevada and stuff has done. They've made these deals with these huge growers. And, um, you know, it's, it's this product goes in and this door and it comes out that door and every, <clears throat> every bit of that product has a tax on it. Um, <clears throat> you don't have that control that they would like to have at the level of the control with all these smaller little entities throughout the state. And I, I feel like there's a there's a little bit of a greed issue going on down there where they feel like they might be missing a couple nickels by letting it go like this. Mm-hmm. Because there's nothing, there's no safety problems that I've seen. There's nothing else that's like um, popping up that's like, Oh, we got to do this. This is urgent. I, I, you know, Derek called me, contacted me last week, started telling me about what was going on. I hadn't even heard that there was these bills going in. I know that it was something was going to come sooner or later, but I didn't hear. Of course, with COVID, it's very difficult to get information, even for myself, mm-hmm. um, that this was going to happen. Um, and as soon as he told me this was going to happen, I, you know, my my intuition was telling me, well, I kind of knew this was going to go this way sooner or later. We're going to have to put this fight up. So now it's time to do the fight. Mm. Definitely a fight between big out-of-state business and small craft cannabis in Maine. It, it, it kind of points to a little bit of the agenda which we had on today. And I think about OMP in itself and some of the shortcomings that it has and some of the failed promises that were made to Mainers. And I, I would some of the things I believe they voted on, you know, which is which is having a caregiver on the board, a, a patient representative on the board. And I'm not sure which one of those were followed through with, if any. Neither. Neither. And I talked to, to uh, all but two members of uh, Human Health and Human Services Committee. Um, I've had yet to hear back from two of them, but everybody else I've heard from. And uh, some of the members told me that uh, this is coming from the commissioner and the governor that those two seats aren't being filled. 
and those rules were written by lobbyists and lawyers that were paid for by out-of-state companies like Acreage, Chairleaf, Siri. Those companies have lobbyists and lawyers writing our rules, and we don't have representation in that process right now, and we don't know why, and so- we cannot get the answer. From the outside, my biggest question is how can you know, how can you do this? How can you just blatantly disregard what is essentially was set as the framework voted in through a legal process? How can you totally just dis- disregard that? How is that legal? It's probably it's probably not that it's legal. It's just that they're getting away with it. The, you know, there's a difference. I mean, they they, they might know. They might just be like, "Well, oh, we're not getting any, we're not getting too many people rustling up the feathers here." Um, so they're just, you know, the worst thing they can have in there is stakeholders explaining their positions to um, make up the rules. Obviously, if they leave, if they're leaving you out of it, you know, <laughs> it's mm. easier for them to, to pull to pull what they need to be to have done the way they see fit. Mm. So, do you think that maybe the like that there should be more of a, of a call to action to really put pressure on the government, the, the state government to follow through with what was voted in. Because it seems like there's always this bandaid that's put on. Like we, we put yeah. up a fight a little bit ago and it's like, okay, you know, we're, we're good for right now, but it seems like they keep coming at us. And the reason they're allowed to, and they can is because we have no representation there. So wouldn't the right way to fix this problem once and for all is to fix the OMP and its shortcomings? Because it seems like just from the outside looking in someone that's not as involved in the caregiver capacity anymore in the industry, it seems like the OMP is just completely disconnected from main caregivers. And the only way to get it back to being something that we like and works synonymously with us is to put people there that represent the people of Maine. So how do we go about yeah. that? Well, Austin has a bill in right now that he's trying to get passed. And we're looking for co-sponsors in the legislature. That's going to make it illegal to have lobbyists and lawyers on that rulemaking committee. So do we need to call our legislators and how do we do that? Who do we call? Yeah, that, yeah. What, what, what you guys need to do is identify your who's friendly to you, who's, who's in support of you. And if they're not in support, like say your local legislature, you need to question why they wouldn't be. I mean, like you said, these laws have been instituted. We voted on them. Um, and if they're being ignored, I mean, it, you need representation. And it starts with probably a, a, a lawyer. Um, you know, doing the suing them to find out why you're not able to be a stakeholder on that on those rulemaking uh, committees. But for someone that can't access a lawyer, for someone like that, you if if, if someone at home that is pissed off and says I want to keep mm. my medicine, they need to pick up their phone and call their local legislator and say what the hell is going on with the OMP? Why is my voice? Yeah. Why is our community's voice not being heard? That is the biggest call to action that we can do as a grassroots thing right now, right here. Correct. Totally agree. Totally yep. agree. Every Always. everybody should get on and contact their legislator because yes. if they don't hear from you, they don't know that you're upset. Right. Mm-hmm. And I've called legislators that are not in my district. I've called over 35 legislators in the past week. No, oh, well, we, we put this up too. We will link. I'll make sure of it. We'll put every single every. If you want to forward us a list, or if we can get one, we're going to make sure we put that information out there because I feel like that's what people are missing. It's like it, it's, we're just constantly doing a band-aid. You need to call your local representative, the person that your your vote actually matters to. 
You know, mm-hmm. and that's who you need to let them know. I am not happy with what's going on, and neither you should you be. And this is why. You can also call the members of the Health and Human Services Committee that is now overseeing OMP, but they're thinking of moving OMP over to the Veterans and Legal Affairs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we were Either, talking to uh, Britt uh, from Bridget Farms earlier today. He mentioned that as well. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. Can you continue? Either one of those committees call every single person on there. We really need to be left in the Health and Human Services Committee. That's where the members are our doctors, nurse practitioners, social workers, they have the members of the legislation, legislators that are in that committee have medical background. We don't need to be put in with alcohol, lottery, and adult use. It's not the same thing. No. You need to be left in human services, and you need to be able to tell people why. You need to be able to say, this is a medicine, this is not adult use. It's not the same. Um, Chad, you brought up earlier, and 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 it's really it when it comes down to it, when you're talking about overseeing maybe a a, a state uh, committee overseeing a program, it's easier when you have a couple dozen as opposed to a few thousand. How how could that be carried over? How could that that feels to me like it might be one of the biggest issues. Um, in, when, when you say the amount of money that would be needed to invest by the yeah. state in order to continue uh, with the caregiver program. And, and caregivers would rebut. There was uh, Evan or Derek, if you want to speak to the number uh, for, for last year, uh, $220 million, was it? Yeah. I, I don't know. All I know, it was his number one cash crop, I believe, in the state of Maine. Doesn't even. 262 million. Yeah. Okay. And countless jobs and countless jobs and countless industries attached to it, small business. That's just medical. Mm -hmm. That's just medical. Yeah, my company's probably done, you know, over the past, since it's been legalized, I I couldn't tell you how much, but we've done a lot of work for many, many growers out there. Um, Mm -hmm. And not just me, mechanical guys, guys doing plumbing, heating. I mean, that all goes back into the community in the area. It's, that's, that's huge. And it's, we all pay taxes on that. It's been huge for nearly 10 years, really. Yep. It's been kind of a yeah. lifeline for, for the main economy. Is that recognized as well, um, uh, Chat, uh, the, uh, the no. impact that it potentially could have on a lot of small business owners in, uh, of other industries? One thing, I don't think so. Um, there's a disconnect with people understanding the um, importance of small business and how it benefits community. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's people that are kind of stuck in the mode where I think everybody has a business is very wealthy and, and, and is like a Walmart scenario. Um, and that could be further from the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, anybody that runs a small business has many sacrifices, works long hours and uh, has a lot of sleepless nights, whether you're uh, growing uh, marijuana or, uh, you know, plumbing a house. Oh yeah. Um, live and breathe you know. it. You live and breathe it. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't think that I don't, I really don't think there's been like numbers brought like if it was me, I'd go into the committee. I'd be like, all right, we brought in this much millions of dollars in revenue. How come we're not treated a little bit more respect here? Mm-hmm. We, we, we're doing the work and we're bringing the money into you guys. And then you're kind of, uh, you know, you're treating us like, uh, you know, 
we're, we're we, you know the dog that bites the hand that feeds you you know it's 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 really not it's not a good scenario to uh to allow that to keep going forward the way they're what way they're going mm. this at this moment my my and biggest an economic impact study is necessary yes it is is it not yeah before action is taken one way or the other my, yeah yeah one of my biggest fears is that what what uh what happens with everything in life um like right now we've seen it with covid uh, what happened in the beginning everyone took it really seriously and then you know as time goes on people kind of get desensitized to it and i'm afraid that that's what can happen with this industry is that like at, at first the lobbies were these big bad people and now like we can kind of just get desensitized to it and this is not a time to get desensitized because i really think that we're winning this fight and that's why they're coming down so hard now they're really giving us everything they have this is like the climax of the action movie right now you know the fight where we need all hands on deck so I think there's some people in some businesses that are checked out a little bit. They're like, listen, we've been fighting this. We're now just going to give in. This is not the time to give in because they're throwing everything at us, the kitchen sink even, because they have no other ammunition at this point. They realize they're running a failed program and they're having to do everything that they can to try to salvage their reputation. And the only way you can do it is overregulate a program that's doing well and force everyone to now fall into their category of you know, the adult use program. Yeah, and their adult use program is struggling right now. In October, they did 1.4 million. Mm-hmm. November, more online and more growing, uh, more grows online. They did one. They did 1.2, so they lost 200,000 with more stores. So I think that might have triggered this big rule push that came out a couple months later. Is this is this played sort of like the initial offer? I mean, uh, even though the language said uh, this is strictly um you know per function per you know just uh, we're putting it out there for you to we don't need to necessarily take it your views into account but they still put it out am i right in thinking about how that policy came about or or was put forth maybe i was wrong. Um, maybe i think it was a, it was they tried to slide it in nobody knew it was coming mm-hmm. if we would have had if we would have had people on the on the uh, in the rulemaking process, mm-hmm. a caregiver, patient advocate, we would have known it was coming. We would have had a part in making those rules, and they probably wouldn't have been as bad as they are. But I, I, don't, I, I haven't heard one good thing out of the rule book, out of the eighty-one pages of rules that they dropped. Right. I haven't heard a positive out of it. Right. No, and it, it, it's it, I, I, you know, I'm a little bit taken back to. I never realized the governor's how much of a direct involvement she did have with the committee, and now I think it's coming to light. Let's not forget who donated to her campaign and into her inauguration and to all these things. So I think left, right, or center, it's time that everyone aligns as a mainer and realize there's some real shady shit going on in our Washington, and our Washington is Augusta. And we need to, you know, if if there ever was a, a time to to vote some new people in or to really make sure that the people in Augusta have our interest at heart, it's now. Because the person at the top has blatantly said that she doesn't give a shit about essentially the number one cash crop in Maine. She's willing to put that all at risk. One of the best things that I think Maine has had going for it in the past decade, undisputably, you know, it it basically kind of, in a sense, I think rescued Maine from COVID. There was so many, the economists, a lot of other things were saying how poorly set up we were because of the small quaint shops and our small towns and our coastal villages and all this stuff. But one thing they counted us out on was the medical marijuana market. And that's the one thing that I believe has kept us afloat. 
and it's the one thing they're trying to take away from us. Funny, wow. we, went from, we went from essential to trash pretty quick, didn't we? Mm. Yeah. yeah, it's a great way of putting it. Well, they, you know, if that's true, that point needs to be made um, throughout Augusta. Uh, you know, but as you guys know, we're going to be, we're going to be, <laughs> going to be an interesting budget season. Oh, sure. Out. Probably yeah. a lot of unknowns on your end. Huh? You want to talk a little bit about that? Well, it's just starting to come, you know, the, I know the governor has got come up with our budget. We're, we're still digging into it mm-hmm. and seeing where this is going. But to me, you got at this point, the medical marijuana might, if it saying what you're saying, might play a big, you know, big part in bringing that budget up to a balanced point. Um, I, my, my personal opinion, and from what I see in Maine, it's too much. It, the budget is way too big. It's bloated. It's out of control. It needs to be brought back to some, you know, something that's affordable. I mean, we only got about 1.1 million people in the state of Maine. We got the lar- largest, oldest population of retired people in the country. Um, we, we're just not, we're not, we're not healthy when it comes to a, our economics in Maine. And, um, you know, especially after this COVID. Were we at one time, were we, sure. were we a little bit more healthy at one time uh, economically in, 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 th- in the time that you've been in Augusta? Were you, yeah, or have so, you recognized trends? Yeah. Well, when, uh, under Governor LePage, we were, uh, economically, we we're on our way. We had, um, you know, we had good rating with our bond rating to borrow money. Mm-hmm. So when you have a good rating, because you have money in the bank, you can borrow money cheaper. And then our cost to do projects like six bridges, roads, all that, big investment schools, um, it's easier to borrow money. Now that rating's gone. So, you know, now it's going to cost us more to borrow money. Um, we're not as, uh, we don't look as, as, you know, we just don't look as attractive to a bank anymore. And, um, you know, the, the rainy day fund is all but gone. Uh, so it's, it's, it's frustrating because I know under Governor LePage, he, he worked hard for eight years to try to get that money up and put that put that in the bank. So if we had this something like COVID or something, we would uh, would be able to get through it. Where where did, where do you feel like the money ended up uh, heading? And what type of programs or what what opened uh, up? I think I think it got spread through a, a lot of programs, mm-hmm. but um, it got what happened was. Um, you know, they just they increased the budget. I mean, uh, last the last session, uh, we drastically it drastically got increased, and uh, it was passed. And um, you know, we owned that budget for the next two year cycle. And you know, you just can't keep doing that. Somewhere this is gonna this is gonna end. I mean, people just cannot afford to live in their homes and eat them, and uh, you know, send their kids to school and raise their children and families in these. In this state, I mean, people are young. People are leaving the state because two reasons. And an MIT, uh, we talked with an MIT economist about this. Maine suffers from high taxes and high energy costs. Two things I went to Augusta to try to lower. I'm on mm-hmm. the EUT, so I see the re- some of the reasons why our energy costs are going up. Um, so you know, not to get off too much subject because we're we're trying to. No, sure, right, but, but just out of curiosity, I find it fascinating. I, sure. I definitely yeah. thank you for that. I definitely want to bring it back to a lot of so many people have heard what's going on is bad. It's bad, it's bad, it's bad. And a lot of them are like, well, exactly what's bad about it? You know, we talked a little bit about the lack of representation, the disconnect between 
you know, the caregivers and the patients and what's going on in the rulemaking process. What else, like specifically, what is that disconnect? We had a couple notes, which were like the cameras and security systems and the track and trace. I'd love to dive into a little bit more and like really emphasize why this is bad because the argument to a lot of it is, well, it's more secure. And yes, it is. But at the same time, I mean, there has to be a little bit of give and take. And, and one of the scariest things I saw in here was a uh, camera on patient's face required at entry of store. My first question is, well, who the hell has access to that database and why is my face being recorded? I mean, you know, I, I don't I don't know. It seems like when I walk into my doctor's office, there's not a camera pointing right at my face. No, but there isn't yeah, a 7-Eleven. So exactly. That's what I was thinking. That's what I was going program. at. This isn't uh, 7-Eleven. It's like, a, you know, people should have their privacy to get their medicine and be able to walk in and walk out without feeling like, uh, they're giving up anything. Yeah. No, it, and I think that's one thing that Dawson tried to highlight is there's a lot of people that have been fooled by the guys that, um, that for some reason, recreational has this more, more freedom attached to it that all of a sudden all these hunters and all these gun owners that have been really, uh, not willing to grab a med card because they are naturally afraid that it is, that it can be in conflict with federal law. They think that there is some, some preconceived notion that recreational cannabis is more understanding or like there's less of a chance of something happening when it se seems to be completely the opposite. It's the exact opposite, actually. And there's no database. You're protected by HIPAA. But if you do decide to go by recreational, they will scan your license. So you will definitely be in a, in a database in Augusta buying anything recreational. Mm. I know it's it's almost like everything yeah. fundamentally about what's happening is totally against every fiber of Mainer's beings <clears throat> from the overregulation to the invasion of privacy. I mean, all of this stuff just seems like something that I don't even know. It depends on I don't care what side you're on in Maine. I don't know any Mainer that really likes those things coming into our state, overregulation and invasion of our privacy. That's why people move here. It's to be less regulated and more private. We talked to a, a cultivator earlier today who uh, regarded the, uh, the, the need for cameras in all those uh, locations. And he said, if I did follow that guideline, I would have to invest $100,000 more in just cameras. In a building that he's out of the lease in three years. So, and he goes, I'm one yeah. of many. So how many of these people now, you know? Some leases. Some leases won't let you take your equipment with you when you're done either. Oh, right. really? Yeah, you put it in there and it stays there. Well, then the technology is changing all the time. So you can spend $100,000 on a camera system that's the newest and best right now in two years. It's just antiquated. Yeah, yeah, right, right. It's not like that's a one-time deal. Somebody gave me a number and fit, uh 12 cameras with $15,000 for the system that they are requiring us to have. So I have, I have a bro that'll take, that'll take uh, a dozen cameras because they don't want any blind spots in the grove. They're trying to align this like adult use. They'll come in and look at a monitor and look for blind spots with another person and make sure you're covered all through your whole room. And you have to have 24 hours, 24, seven, uh, surveillance with 45 days of backup in a locked closet. Then you got to have one for the outside. You got to have all your outside covered. And I put in a certified uh, certified kitchen in my house. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be required to have a full camera system in my house 
24-7 with 45 days back in my own house. Um, Under the pool. You've already invested. Any cultivator is already invested in cameras. Yeah. And for the simple purpose of security and safety. They, they were, yeah. every grower has always done that. And so stepping up the amount of cameras that you have, sure, you could realistically, okay, ask for certain situations, certain locations, that's fine. But uh, it almost feels like they want a 360 or, yeah. or that capability of seeing everything all the time if they wanted to. It feels like an infringement on privacy as well to some degree. And I'm not, is this in the name of safety? Is is that how this gets pushed forward? I think a lot of this is in the thin veil of safety, for sure. I think that's what they're saying. I, if I if I was, you know, my my view would be, it's more to um, like just say I give up. I'm not going to deal with this. You know, yeah, that's what a lot of yeah, that's what a lot of the language feels like. Some people have taken a look at it from a financial point of view. Some have looked at it from the changes in, in some of uh, the, you know, your employee-employer um, relationships. They're very much uh, wanting to, you know, whatever that needs to be, employer-employee. I, I see a lot of people have turned that corner and they're doing it exactly the way that's necessary to operate in a legal way. So it feels like there's been a lot of bend and, and rightfully so because it's a, it's, it is a program that's being honed in. So this just feels like an overtop uh, attack on all aspects of the program as it exists. And is it more or less that we need to counter and what, you know, and what avenues that we need to counter for like, um, you know, because it's it just clearly doesn't make sense. It it does feel too over if the it, top. If, if it doesn't make sense, I mean, if, you know, I, I I don't like to think too deeply about things, but sure. Usually, you know, a gut reaction. You know, we say you got your second brain. Well, you know, I kind of look at things from my years of uh, being involved in a family business and stuff. It's, it's I, I've been gifted with a just enough common sense to know the difference between right and wrong most of the time. Mm. Um, so when I look at a bill and stuff, I always look at the bill. I'm like, all right, what are they selling this as? Is this sold as a benefit to the people or is this benefiting somebody's wallet? To me, all of this has nothing to do with making the program better. It's just to hurt the program and make it more and kind of pick the winners and losers of the program by making it difficult for everybody else where a large entity can come in and go, yeah, we'll put up a million dollars worth of cameras. We'll do this. We'll do that. We've got a hundred thousand square feet here. We're going to be fine because we're working on a 2% uh, profit base or whatever. So they can have all the rules. It's the same thing as um, the trucking industry. Cause you know, I have a CDL and all that. And I look at that and it's always the people making the rules for the trucking industry are the huge corporation trucking industry. Mm. And it hurts. They write the rules so it puts out more owner operators so they can uh, control the market. To me, the same thing's happening. What we're All that money. Yeah. What, All that money. It, what happens with jobs at that point when we start getting when we start getting uh, i guess replaced or or 
or what are what are some of the what are the signs or what are the things that we look for in order to to feel as though we we have a, a capable argument a capable battle a capable dialogue what can happen and where do we need to start any ideas chad like from um, from a government way you you have been you know very transparent with us and in, in sharing great information i thank you for that um yeah, oh more than welcome i mean we like Hey, we're, 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 listen, I'm, I'm a citizen legislator. I, my, I have a, I, you know, I work for a living and I go down there with no, I have no intentions of being a professional politician. I'm a horrible politician. Cause I just, <laughs> what got you into I, it? What got you into um, it? I was complaining about a bunch of um, rulings um, in front of a couple guys one night. And one of them happened to be a legislator, and he says, "You know," and I'm like, "Oh yeah, okay." And, uh, <laughs> I, I just kind of blew it off, and I, I got no time to do that. Holy smokes! I work almost seven days a week, and uh, they're like, "You know, we really could use you down there with the insight of things you, you know that you know about." I said, "Well, I, you know," I, so I got interested and did it, and I'm glad I did it because of the reason of this. Um, I've done stuff for the water well industry, which I'm involved in heavily, um, groundwater protection and stuff like that, um, and protecting this industry. But I, I feel just as strong in the uh, medical marijuana industry to protect that as vehemently as I have in mm -hmm. uh, my industry. Are there other uh, house reps that um, we can we could? use or or consider allies that maybe or or some we could reach out to that you feel um yeah you know yep. if they knew if they knew what was you know potentially occurring if you know if we're what we're talking about and how damaging we perceive it could be um who, who are allies i feel, I feel like in the you know i i consider myself just uh I lean more Republican just because I, I like small. I, I believe in you know self governance and small sure. business. That's that's the only reason. Otherwise, I have many many liberal ideas, many conservative ideas. I kind of play a little bit on both. But you have I to classify yourself to classify yourself, but you're but you don't you're not going to necessarily adhere strictly party line. No, absolutely no. not. That's that's foolishness. No. Um, but what I find uh, when it comes down to like understanding like what you gentlemen are saying tonight, and I totally get it. You don't have to explain it to me. But I find that in the Republican caucus, you'll have more allies. It's, it's an odd thing. Back when I was younger, I mean, my family is all um, on the Democrat side and all that. And it was all about, you know, protecting the little guys. I just don't see that anymore. Mm. It's really mm -hmm. changed. Things have flipped and a lot of people don't realize. I mean, and that's the natural progression in politics. And yeah, right. You'll see, you'll see people adopt different platforms, policies, and before you know it, this guy became that guy and that guy became this guy. Um, right. And I find that your allies are going to lie in the House Democrats, um, I mean, the House Republicans. And I, I, I can tell you there's a handful of Democrats I know that will be 100% on board with this. But I wouldn't say you'd have a majority of them because no, it's a sure. different thing down there. I can I know I can go in my caucus and I'd be like I ain't voting for it that way. This is what I've seen in the past five years I've been down there, and they'll be like they won't argue. They're like all right, go with wait. You know there'll be some guys kind of sore, but they'll be like yeah, it's okay. Do what you think is right. 
Now the other side, I've seen them whip them and just have them almost <laughs> in, have them actually literally in tears to vote for something they didn't want to vote for. Wow! So you got two different kinds of mindsets you're playing with there. But I think if you can get one on one with some people that are kind of on the fence about it, you will definitely sway them. Because to me, your guy's argument is pure. It's truthful, and it makes sense economically. And the safety concerns are not a problem. So to, to me, the only problem I see here is you've got some agenda that somebody has set <laughs> and they're hell bent on getting that move forward. And the, and I think it's important too what you said is it doesn't matter if the person though in the, your local legislator your your local lawmaker in your town your ward or your district whatever it may be doesn't matter if they're left right or center you need to pick that's up right. the phone and call them and let them know that's that right. this is how it's affecting me that is the only way that it's going to change we totally have to put pressure on these people that's and it, it and and you know this more on than a anyone city, else on a city level too. Oh, yeah. Everyone. You, you all have these people that you can call, and we'll find these numbers. We'll put it out when it comes here. But yep. these people work for us. You know, at the end of the day, they're supposed to be representing us. And if you let them know, if enough people from their city call and put the pressure on them, they know that election's coming up and that if they've received this many phone calls that people aren't going to forget. It's going to make them sweat. And that's what needs to happen right now is I think there needs to be a bunch of lawmakers that are sweating and saying, if we don't intervene, we may not hold the power at the end of this. Because, Chad, the unfortunate truth is not everyone is there with pure intentions like yourself. You know, a lot of people are in it for other things. Yeah, and I have to agree with you. Um, like you said, it doesn't matter what side you're on. There are people who are there with aspirations of um, becoming, a, you know, that, that's what they want to be as a politician. Mm -hmm. So they, they, those are the people that I feel will tell you something and do something different. Right. And I've seen it even in my own committee. We'll all have a discussion. I think we're all on board. We go in there to vote. And I'm like, what, what just happened? <laughs> I, mm. I mean, I'm used to somebody when they tell me something, we go with that. Right. So it, it, it's very hard. And I, and I can sense your frustration. I totally agree with you. You need to, everybody needs to get on their legislators. I'm sure I couldn't tell you how many people are in each district that there's growers. I'm sure there's enough to raise some heck with these people. Mm -hmm. oh, and yeah, let them know that you're going to so. remember. You're going to remember how they how they voted and how they acted. And when it's our time again to go to the polls, we are going to vote and act in the same manner that they did. If they don't have our back here, we're not going to have their back when it comes to that time because that's just how it is. And that's what we're at right now. This can't slide through. This is not something that this industry can afford to let happen. Oh, the state can't afford it. No, no really. one. I, I don't think so. <laughs> yeah. I don't think it's so. A, it's, a, it's a lose for everyone. To me, the, the, the people that are pushing it don't, you know, I don't think they have, they don't have a, they don't, it's not going to affect them either way. They're just trying to do, it's going to affect them. I'm sorry. It's going to help them if they get their agenda through, but there's people that don't care what happens to all the growers and the medical providers. Oh, no, you're they, right. They, for sure. They just don't care. Or yeah. this wouldn't even be happening. Mm -hmm. So we need to identify them and let them hear our voice. Yes. And do you Never guys, done. now do you guys have uh, some kind of representation that you're using down there, like lobbyists, um, your, your liaison to the committee? I mean, Derek, that's, that's, can yeah, you speak on two, that? We have two lobbyists that uh, uh, the Cannabis Coalition has hired. Um, they're working on getting some bills co-signed right now. Mark Dion is one of them. I'm not familiar with the other person, but 
Mm-hmm. Uh, we do have people down there uh, working on some stuff. Uh, and I can get the list of, of bills to you. As soon as I get them, I'll send them over to you. Which ones that we're trying to get pushed through that will, you know, hopefully uh, alleviate some of the pressure we have going on from, I mean, it's all the money from, from acreage, uh, mm-hmm. wellness connection theory and cure relief. And I don't uh, have the up. agenda on me. Uh, I don't have it on me anymore. My phone died. But one of the th- uh, points that was highlighted that needs to come true is Hannah King needs to be ousted from the OMP. That she, way too many conflicts of interest. I'm not even sure how someone is allowed to hold a position being in the position that she's currently in. It's absolutely mind blowing to me. And it, to me, yeah, it's yeah. it's so ignorant of the government to think that we're just going to sit there and let it slide. Like, oh, yeah, that's that's OK. No, it's not OK. Hannah King needs to go. She needs to be shown the door by the by the main people is what needs to happen. I understand she's under contract with Cure Leaf. Mm hmm. Oh, she's there. You got some serious conflicts of, of interest going on. There. And she, she has her own. She has her own store or her own, her, her own laboratory, right? Coast to coast. Which, which she signed her shares over uh, the rumor or the uh, apparent right. how it was that she was listed as a shareholder. Now she's not. It's all under her husband. Her sister has That's storefronts. Right. The the conflict of interest is so crazy. And she would, she would never write a, she would never write any any legislation that would uh, benefit her, right? Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. I know. Well. It, it's created quite a situation last for year, them. Last year, she went after the any caregiver that, that made extractions out of ethanol. She wanted it to be in a C one D one bomb proof building for ethanol extraction. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She, she tried to put it under an uh, inherently hazardous chemical. In California, they've already it's already gone to court and it's been determined that it's not. Um, but she pushed for it last year. And we fought it and got it thrown out. But uh, she, there's only a couple C1D1 labs in the state. She owns, or her husband owns one of them. So that would, in fact, you know, drive everybody's business right to that place. We wouldn't be able to make the medicine. And I think it was 60% of the medical marijuana products are made with ethanol extractions. Mm. Mm-hmm. So everything would have had to go through her and her husband and one other place. And it, 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 I think it was become very obvious here with what happened with seaweed and their logo is it, and mm-hmm. I know there's a lot of people that are you using. You want to go be a, a little bit more explicit? With, goes for well with seaweed. It, seaweed's company, their logo was a mermaid. Hannah King was the one that apparently reviewed it to make sure it was compliant. She works for them or whatever in some sort of capacity. There's a lot of other people that use Hannah King uh, as a lawyer because they believe she's this great cannabis attorney. And I would look at seaweed and, and say that can happen to you, too. That's a clear, clear sign that her focus isn't on you. There is a bigger focus for Hannah King. I don't know what it is. I'm not sure. I don't want to speculate. But I'm telling you, if you are using her as an attorney, I would reconsider or look deeply at the relationship and ask yourself, is she really, really looking out for me? Or is she or someone else in that portfolio, the big fish, the anchor, that's holding her there? Because I don't know. I know there's a lot of people that are using her because they believe she's some wizard. And she's definitely smart to get where she's gotten. But I also think there might be a little bit of uh, a little bit of malice in there, to be completely honest. So She wrote that bill. <laughs> this new bill? She, 
she wrote that bill about not having animals or anything that would attract a 20, anybody under 21. <laughs> and then she guided one of her clients basically right into the, you know, uh, right. I don't know what the saying is, you know, let him to the fire or whatever or something like that. I mean, God, yeah, let, her, let, let her client to the slaughter is basically yes. exactly what she did. Yeah. Right. Isn't it funny, though, the acreage or wellness connection? They, their new, uh, they were allowed to use a moose on their sign for their high north or whatever their new product line is or whatever the new storefront is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they high north, a, I believe. Silhouette of a, they have a silhouette of a moose on there, but that's okay. So <laughs> the guy can't have a mermaid. Can't have a mermaid, which, uh, and you know, Brett brought up, brought up a good thing. Uh, is a mermaid an animal? Because last time I checked, it's a mythical creature. That So someone goes and starts throwing a dragon. Is a dragon an animal? So it's crazy the reach and the grasping at straws that, that the OMP is doing to try to persecute Mainers and businesses. But like you just said, a big corporation with a blatant moose on it, not a mythical creature, an actual animal, is still allowed to get away with that. I don't know. Doesn't sit right. Follow the money. Yeah. Yep. Well, hey, I don't know if anyone else has anything to say, but thank you guys so much for coming on. Yeah, Derek or Chad, you guys have any closing remarks? Anything you'd like to share, or if I, not, I I I just like to say, um, you know, again, uh, I I fully support the medical uh, cannabis industry. I do everything I can to um, back up the medical cannabis industry because I think it's important to Maine. It's important to patients in Maine. Um, in, in members of their family who uh, are benefiting from this. Yeah, and the health um, of it. Yep. Absolutely. And uh, I really think we need to know and open up all these dark corners and open up all these doors and see where all this smoke-filled rooms are happening where they're making these laws off to the side and then they're just trying to kind, kind of ram them through and get them, get them in there and um, I, I think things need to be more out in the open, and I also think, believe that you guys need to be, as uh, stakeholders, be part of this 100%. We'll do our best. Thank Absolutely. you on that. Derek, anything? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, uh, I agree with everything Chad has said, and, uh, you know, I think 3,500 caregivers and 4,500 employees, that's 8,000, and then there's 95,000 patients, so we're well over 100,000 strong. Not to mention the electricians that might not use and the plumbers that might not use. And uh, Coast of Maine just put a, a big warehouse up for their Stonington blend because of the medical marijuana community. Uh, there's a lot more at stake than what they're looking at. And uh, we need to definitely have people uh, in there that are stakeholders for us, yeah. the caregiver and patient advocate. And uh, the lobbyists need to get out and that you, for sure. You brought up a good point, too. It's a, don't just call your don't just call your legislator. Call your electrician. Call your contractor. Let them know this is going to affect them too. This is going to affect how much money you can go ahead and put back in their pockets in the next five to ten years. This is, the ripple is massive, and you brought up a good point. It affects everyone in every single area of the state of Maine. Everyone should be placing a phone call and saying this is going to affect my income. Yeah, I made a phone call to an HVAC guy that had twenty six cancellations after this rule drop. Wow. So, yeah, we do need to you send your emails. That's great. Jam up their emails. And even if they don't read them, the 1,500 emails that went out jammed them up, and they didn't like it. They had to hire extra people to go through it. The OMP has $6 million in a fund to take care of whatever little procedures they need to do to check on us. Um, so, you know, all, all we need to do is keep calling your legislators in your town and outside of your district, too. They, 
HHS committee and the BLA, they all, they're on the, on Google, figure out who they are and let them know where you stand. And you don't want these big businesses pushing us around. Perhaps as a service, we can post it uh, to yeah. a website and start getting that information so people can go to it I definitely as like a to common resource. Yeah. To our link and whatnot. I don't so. know if Chad or, or Derek, if any of you have uh, a database of phone numbers and stuff that we can contact for people, we'd love to be able to publish that in some way. So if you can get that to us, yep, we awesome. can get on the horn. Yeah. yeah, see if we can get some names together and help you guys out and then uh, spread it out from there. It was our pleasure having both of you on tonight. Thank you, Chad and Derek. I really appreciate your insights and opinions. Thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate you guys. Thank you very much. All right. We'll talk again soon. Be Take well. Care. All right. Take care. Yep, you too. Once again, this was made possible in conjunction with our amazing sponsors, Rugged Roots, Cure Cannabis Co., The Heady Yeti, Tastefully Baked, The Shack 420, Humble Family Farms, Canamelts, Salty Cultivation, The North Fire, Highbrow, Team Green, Seaworks and Company, Fade Space, Zero Gravity Extracts, Wisely Cannabis, and Stoner and Co. For more information on how you can support those who support us, please visit our website, www.mainpodcast.com. That's mainpodcast.com, and click the Sponsors tab.